We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So it's mailbag time, Ryan, and let's dive right into it, man. We got uh, we got some really good questions today. We're going to start it off with a super chat from Raymond Parton. My guy, Raymond, thank you so much for the super chat. I appreciate you, sir. How do you think Billy Shroud looks Saturday, and was he going against Tennessee State starters along with the other second-team offensive line? Thank you, guys, being number one. I thought he looked really good. I I could I don't I didn't pay close enough attention to know if it was the starters for NC, for Tennessee State or not. Ryan, I thought Billy looked really good. He had one pass pro where he got knocked back a little bit. He let that guy get under his pads. But other yeah. than that, he got a very good push in the run game. I thought their actually I thought their most impressive pushes came with the second team offensive line. Now they might have been going up against Tennessee State's number twos. I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it, but some of the best interior pushes came when they put Ashton Craig and Billy Shrouth into the game. And they were cutting right off of Billy Shrouth. So I, w- I was happy to see that. Absolutely happy to see that. I thought the second team as a whole did well, right? I thought they held their own and got good push. There's some talented kids on that second team offensive line. You're talking about Tosh Baker, yeah. you know, who started games at Notre Dame. Billy Shrouth, who I think should be starting at Notre Dame. Ashton Craig is going to be the future at center once Zeke Carell's gone. Andrew Christoffick has nine starts in his career. I mean, there was over 10 career starts on Notre Dame's second team offensive line in that game on Saturday. And then, of course, Emil Wagner, who, you know, pound for pound is one of the more talented players they have on the offensive line, you know. So I was happy to see that that group play well, honestly. I really was. They were, I mean, they're open up room. Who was it? Uh, uh, Salerno. Was it Salerno or no? It was uh, Skip Vallada comes in there and like rips one off for like nine yards. I'm like, that was a good hole. It's a good run, good hole. He, he moved know? the pile a little bit too. Yeah, there, so Sam cool. Asaf. Yeah, yeah, I was like, okay, yeah. these cats are coming out to play, man. Yeah, man. So and I thought the second team offensive line played well. Yeah, right. No, did I, you? I, 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 go ahead. Oh no, I, I was just gonna say I thought the second team offensive line in general looked pretty good. I mean, like for the people had asked about like Steve Angeli's performance and like stuff was easy, right, for the most part. But like he did well, made solid decisions. The running backs looked good. The offensive line was playing well. I thought the I thought it was kind of a seamless transition from the yeah. first team offense to second well, team offense, man. Like I didn't think there was a massive drop off like there typically is. In some what's places. what's nice is is I really thought it was smart for them to get Steve Angeli a couple series with the first team offensive offensive yes. unit. That yeah. was smart. Now, what are my issues with Steve Angeli? He's got to push the ball down the field more. 
but I'm not shocked that that was a hesitancy for him the first time he's ever really played a meaningful down in a game. Sure. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of expected, but then he ended up making a nice throw to Mitchell Evans over the middle and he did a couple check downs, he extended plays well. So it's a good first perform. I mean, you know, good, good, good job, good way of getting your feet wet. And then they let, they let Kenny Minchie go in there and he got to throw two passes. I was very happy to see that. We talked about that last night, Vince, or with Vince and I, Ryan, but that's been a big concern of mine over the years is they put the second team in and just, you know, run the clock out. They let those kids run the offense. They let the the second team defense come in and run the defense. I thought that was a very important first football team. I I think we've seen that the first two games as well, Brian, like it was limited against Navy, but like uh, Steve Angeli completed a pass against Navy where he had kind of, I think it was an RPO or something where he rolled out. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, so they, they've allowed the, second teamers to get some time and to be able to develop a little bit and get some meaningful reps, which I think was big time for this past week, especially. Agree. All right, let's go to the next one here, Ryan from J our guy, JP Buellsfeld. Thanks JP. What's up JP said, how concerned are you about Duke after the emotion of Ohio state the week before? JP, we've talked about this a lot. I mean, when we've done schedule breakdowns, Duke is always the number one, Trap game, yeah. Trap well, game. it's not a trap anymore, I guess. But yeah. it, it kind of still is. I mean, it's still Duke, yeah. right? And and there's still some games they've got to go out there and, and handle their business this year, right? And and not lose the momentum from this game, which I mean, I think they should be able to do. They got Lafayette this weekend, then they got Northwestern at home, then they play at UConn. Like that UConn game will be a test for them for the reasons that it was for NC State. But there's a good chance now that when Notre Dame heads to Duke. On the September 30th, right? They're going to be four and zero and ranked in the top 15. And there's a like good a night, chance of that. Sounds like a night game to me, right. baby. Yeah. <laughs> and to your point, Ryan, the odds of Notre Dame overlooking them, no matter what happened the week before, diminish yeah. Yeah. with well how Duke is. So if anything, I know a lot of people are like, oh, are you more concerned about Duke? If anything, I'm actually happy with how that went because now you, if they, as long as they handle their business the next three games against teams, they should beat convincing. I mean, let's be honest, Ryan. Their next three wins should all be by double figures. Let's be honest about that. Because uh, I think Duke's a better team coming into the season than NC State is, oh, at yeah. least in September, right? Yes, great. Uh, we, yeah, we like Brendan Armstrong, but he's not Riley Leonard. As 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 Ryan, we y'all know Ryan has been on that train for now going into year two. That, that's a better football team, in my opinion. They should be 4-0 in the top 15, in my opinion, by, by the time Notre Dame comes to town. Because there's going to be teams losing and stuff like that. They're going to at least be top 20. Because yep. I think they were in the top 20 of the polls – the most recent polls, they're 21st in the AP poll sure. this past week. And then let me see where they were in the coaches poll. Notre Dame, by the way, was 10th and 11th. They jumped in at 24 in the in the coaches poll, which is silly. I should have had, I, I made a mistake not having them in the top 25 preseason. And I rectified that with my, my initial top 25, Ryan. I don't know if you had a chance to see the IB top 25, but I had, I, I had Duke at 16. I mean, I, I thought they looked. They should have been in the top 25, and I thought they looked good in winning. And you can say Clemson made some mistakes, but some of that stuff was Duke forcing Clemson mistakes, right? And it wasn't just like, oh, Clemson dropping the ball in the middle of nowhere. There was a little bit of that. But some of this was, you know, Duke players making plays and forcing Cade Klubnik into pressures, not letting him get comfortable in the pocket, not, you know, forcing him into mistakes. I thought that was there too, but, you know, they, they should be 4-0. So to your point, JP, I'm – I will not say I'm less concerned because they're still a very good football team. Ryan predicted Duke was going to win this game last week. Yeah. I, I mean, I, 
I'm not, I'm not surprised about Duke at all. And I, it doesn't change my opinion on it, JP. I always thought that Duke is going to be a tough game for Notre Dame. Like, I never yeah. thought it wasn't going to be. And last night didn't make me more concerned with Duke. I, I picked them to beat Clemson in, in the upset, like 31-27, I think, was my final score. Obviously, the score was way off. But if you had watched that game, yes, Duke dominated that football game for the most part. But Clemson still had opportunities to score the football, man. Like, they, had, I think they had four four drives inside the red zone or four or five drives inside the red zone only scored seven points. Right. Yeah. So one or two drives that end in touchdowns there, then that's a game in the fourth quarter. And we're talking about a more competitive football. Game. Well, it was like, what? Thir- 13 to seven, right? Ryan, it was 13 to seven and yep. Clemson's got the ball. I think first and goal at the one or two yard yep. line and they fumble. And Duke recovers it, runs it back a chunk of the way, and then punches it in. And I mean, that's really where the game turned. Yeah, yep. it, it was. Uh, it was early in the fourth quarter. It's a little early in the fourth quarter than I thought, but they end up returning that. Next thing you know, it, it's a touchdown. I mean, Clemson. Clemson was very sloppy last night. Very sloppy last night. And that that to me was sort of the that was that was the big surprise for me, because if you really look at the numbers, Ryan. Clemson wasn't as bad as people are making them out to be. They had 422 yards of offense. They ran for over 200 yards. They had 5.1 yards per play. They had 29 first downs last night. 15 they rushing, moved, 14 passing. They moved the ball. They just yeah. turned over the football and had yeah. kicks blocked and missed kicks. Like yeah. it was just, a, it was an ugly football game. Yeah. Football. Offensively, Ryan, they went one of four in the red zone, to your point. One of four in the red zone. And I, mean, and I, and I love Riley Leonard. I think he's an incredible talent, but it's not like Clemson's pass defense was bad. Like they were, I think right. went like 17 of 33 against them, right? Like it yeah. wasn't like this world on fire type of outing. Right. I would contend that like, I did not think Duke's wide receivers got any separation against Clemson. Yeah. Like it was ugly. There were some balls that I'm like, that should be a catch, but like there's just no separation yeah. at all. Clemson's pass defense, I thought, actually played really well. They gave well, up too t- many quarterback runs. Yeah, they let up a late one for to Jordan Water Waters, I think is his last name mm-hmm. that scored that last touchdown. So mm-hmm. there were a couple lapses in the run game as far as the stopping the quarterback run game. But it's not like Clemson's defense played right. awful. It was just that right. their offense had put them in so many bad situations yep. throughout the football game. To your point, Riley Leonard went seventeen of thirty three yesterday yep. for one hundred seventy five yards and five point three yards per attempt. Exactly. His QB rating was 96.07. To also your point, Ryan, he had eight carries for 98 yards and a touchdown. Oh, yeah, that kid's that, an athlete. That was it. Man. That was <laughs> it. But, you, you know, I mean, and that's a run, man, like high step. And I'm like, that kid's an yeah. athlete. He's got man. some swagger to him this year, too, man. He really does. Yeah, uh, but what Ryan also talked about and what we've talked about is that Duke's better in the trenches than people give him credit for. You know, we talked about Graham Barton, a left tackle, and obviously Dwayne Carter and Jamie on Franklin and those guys on the defensive line. You know, that that's a big part of this thing, too, is they were they were disruptive last night against what I thought was going to be a much better Clemson defensive line. I I really did. Or offensive line. Excuse me. I I really did. I thought they were going to be better. Uh, You know, like you said, Clemson's defense did not play bad. No, they They gave up some, you know, first game jitters. It's just they just blew so many opportunities. I mean, they should have been up a couple scores in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I really think I just too many. Like Clemson was shooting themselves in the foot because I actually thought again, like I thought Clemson's defensive backs or secondary played really well. Like I thought Nate yeah. Wiggins was good. I thought Andrew McCuba was all over the field. Like yeah. I thought their secondary played. Who's the guy? I'm not overly ball. high on. Like you yeah. know what I mean? Like so that that's a good sign for them. Last night, right? And and here's here you want to hear like a, here's another um, here's another crazy stat that I saw from last night. Let me let me just pull this up to make sure that that is actually correct. 
So Clemson in the second half of the game last night scored a grand total of zero points. Zero points in the second half. Do you know how many punts they had in the second half, Ryan? I know you know the answer to this. It's rhetorical. They did not punt once. Yeah. (laughs) Not once. Missed field goal, fumble, fumble, downs, interception, downs. Oh, man, I, I just made I made a big a big mistake, Brian. I accidentally opened up the chat and I just saw someone give Tony Elliott credit for Dabo. And I just can't I just can't. I'm losing my mind. Yeah, now. this is why I tell you to close the chat and not know, have the I chat. Really on. I'll, the whole I'll handle it. I saw yeah. I saw someone say that that it was it was all about Venables and Elliott. Like, guys, have we seen what Tony Elliott's doing at Virginia yeah. right did now? Did you see what Tony Elliott did his last two years at Clemson? On, right? Man. Like, yeah. Clemson's no. in this hole offensively because of Tony Elliott. Let's right. be honest with ourselves about that. Recruiting-wise yeah. and coaching-wise. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Oh. Exactly. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Football season is upon us which means my schedule is ramping up even more than normal. And it makes it a lot harder to spend as much time cooking and preparing meals as I want and need. And eating healthy can be especially challenging. That's why I'm looking forward to getting ramped up with Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, which can help me fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to my door. With Factor, you can skip the extra trip to the grocery store and save a lot of time on food prep. But you don't have to miss out on the flavor. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready to go in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy. And then we can get back to work. And you can choose from over 34 weekly flavor-packed, fresh, never-frozen meals. You can level up and get Gourmet Plus options and treat yourself to upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. There are also lunch-to-go options and Protein Plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving. And you can round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of over 45 add-ons, including breakfast items like the delicious apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon and cheddar egg bites, and more. You can also try refreshing beverage options like cold-pressed juices, shakes, and smoothies. This September, get factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door. And they have a great deal for Irish Breakdown listeners. Head to factor.com slash irish50 and use code irish50 to get 50% off. That's code irish50 at factormeals.com forward slash irish50 to get 50% off. Try it and enjoy. 
Let's get to some more, Ryan. We got a lot of good questions today. This is also about about that. Uh, go ahead. Tavis McKay says, "What does Duke's win over Clemson mean for Notre Dame's strength of schedule?" When, when you're when you have a game between two opponents, like negates each other a little yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> if anything, Ryan, it it actually, I would argue, it improves their strength of schedule because now Clemson is no longer a top ten team, yep. but because of that game, there's now two of those opponents in the top twenty five. As exactly, opposed to just yeah. Clemson staying in the top 10 and then Duke being 0-1. Yeah. And, and if Duke's 0-1 and they beat Lafayette, Northwestern, and UConn, they're not even sniffing the top 25 poll. And then Notre Dame beats them, and their odds of getting back in the top 25 are slim till November. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. if anything, I, I I believe this helps Notre Dame strength the schedule, in my view. And then with Clemson, it just depends on what do they do next, right? I mean, they got Charleston Southern this weekend, Florida Atlantic the weekend after that. They got two weeks of get-right games before Florida State comes to town. Like, well, I, or, I was in a chat with a buddy who said Florida State's going to wipe the floor with Clemson. And I'm just like, guys, I think we're overreacting a little bit. Clemson did not play well last night, but I don't also don't think they played quite as bad as people correct. acted like they played. It wasn't like they were correct. just outclassed and weren't able to run the football. They weren't able to move the football. I think Clemson will end up being it's still a good football People team get way too worked up over that stuff, right? Let's not yeah. forget the last time – I'm going to bring this up again. The last time – that Ohio State won a national championship in week two at home. They got their butts kicked by an yeah. ACC team, Virginia Tech, that was not very good. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, they lost by two touchdowns. And, okay, like that was a crushing loss. But that was early in the year. By the end of the year, they were a different football team. They just were. They were a different football team. And so I just, you know, Virginia Tech – and you remember that game, Ryan – Clemson or Ohio State tied it up in the second half, but Virginia Tech was up 21 to 7 at halftime. And then as soon as Ohio State scored to tie it up, Virginia Tech went right back down the field and scored a touchdown and took the lead back. Ohio State that year got beat at home by a Michael Brewer led Virginia Tech football team. Guys, it's September. Do you remember how bad USC was at the beginning of 2016? One and three. They started one and three. They lost to Bama by over 50. By the end of the year, nobody wanted to play that 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 USC team. Now, here's the concern. There are some areas where Clemson just doesn't look as talented as I thought they might be. Was it just game one? Is are they were they not playing? Like I thought they'd look better at receiver with some of the young talent. I didn't see that last night. I thought Williams played well, but I didn't see the the production that I thought I would see at the receiver position. You know, I I don't I think Adam Randall caught one pass. You know, Bo Collins that was 5 for 50, Antonio Williams was 7 for 56 and that's a misleading number cuz he was catching screens behind the line and having to make three people miss to gain 4 yards. Yeah. I mean, they were blowing that stuff up last night i thought that the play calling was very telegraphed duke was prepared for the clemson offense in a big big way last night that was a great coaching job by tyler santucci and mike elko in my opinion they were very much ready and clemson still got theirs at times and will shipley's very good like i wasn't watching the game at first and then you know like i went back and watched it later because we were doing a show and i you know you see all these things on twitter about how bad will shipley looks and I start watching the game. I'm like, what are you people smoking whenever when you start criticizing Will Shipley? Look, like, I, I, I thought he looked I good. do not understand why people. Well, I kind of do understand, but like, 
I see on Twitter just this nonstop, Will Shipley can't play, Will Shipley can't play, Will Shipley. And then I turn the game on, and I'm like, what are you guys talking about? He was the only thing they had on offense yesterday. Yeah. Over 100 him, yards him, rushing. Him and the, the backup running back did pretty well outside of that yeah. fumble as well. But yeah. yeah, that's all I could do is yeah. run the football a little bit. Yeah, yeah, because Moffa had 65 yards on 11 carries. He averaged 5.9 a carry. Will Shipley had 114 yards on 17 carries. I'm like, guys, what are we talking about here? You know? Yeah. I thought they didn't, if anything, they didn't have enough things to get him the football in this game is what I felt, you know? So uh, that was the the big concern for me is they just didn't look as dynamic in spots as, as I thought that they would look in certain places. But again, it's one game. It's one game. If they would have played Tennessee state in their opener, we would be having a different conversation about Clemson right now. Yeah. And right, I, but I, I mean, I, and honestly, like, I don't, I don't know how good Cape Klubnik's going to be in the end. Like, I have no idea. But I think we also need to remember, like, it was the kid's second career start. He's a first year yeah. starter at Clemson, right? And right. then, and they put a lot Riley on him last first night. Right? Game. I mean, it's yeah. it's a lot of transitional stuff happening right now. Yep. So. I I thought that they put a lot more on him than I thought they should have last yep. night. I, I especially running the ball, and then he's got to make better decisions at times. You know, he's got that fourth, what was it, fourth down, fourth and goal, and he takes off running. Yeah, and it's that was like, bad. He also, he also he did that last year against that, Tennessee, remember? Yeah, he tried to he tried to fit like a little over route to bringing Stoll, the tight end, early in the game. Mm-hmm. That should have been intercepted as well. I'm just like, oh, it's a bad decision. Yep. Like, he's starting down the whole time. I'm just yep. like, yeah, it's but like, he needs to grow. Like, he wasn't good yep. last night. I mean, that's, yep. that's I mean, no one can argue that. Like, Kate Plutik was not good last night. There's no doubt about that. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. All right, let's get to some more. We had Chris, ND for life, Fortson, who said, are there any starters too deep on the NC State team that would start too deep for Notre Dame? Thank you. Well, definitely some guys that be in Notre Dame's too deep for sure. I mean, I'm sorry, Peyton Wilson is starting for Notre Dame. Uh, right Peyton, Wilson, Peyton Wilson's yeah. the starting will for Notre Dame right yep. now. Yeah. Uh, I think C.J. Clark's playing starting a bunch Nose, maybe. for Notre yeah, Dame. If, if not starting at Notre yep. Dame, yeah. Yep. Um, Davin Van, to me, could – be a big end at Notre Dame yeah. or, or a rotation three technique for Notre Dame. Yeah. Certainly. Aiden white might be a nickel for Notre Dame, potentially kind of moving inside yep. a little bit as a, like oh, he would play. I think I'd take one of their safeties. Yeah. I'd take one of their safeties for sure. Absolutely. I would. Um, yeah. Well, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. I, I would say t- it would have to be a position change, but I would take Anthony Belton to compete inside at guard. He's yeah, left. I like that. Like, I would yeah. take him in, in a second. Yes. Well, and he's got, a, he's got more to me of a guard body, you know, six, like six, six five, forty. He's yeah. massive. Man. Yeah. He's, he's got a, a guard. Body. He's talented too. He just needs a little yeah. refinement. I mean, but, you put yeah, him at left good. guard on this Notre Dame yeah. team beside, beside oh. Joe Walt. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, he played better in the opener than Blake Fisher played against Tennessee state. He has some preseason, like second and third round games from the NFL, man. Like that kid's talented, yep. folks. Like he's they good. They have a good Jordan size Tello in that group's going to have to be playing yeah. good ball against Anthony Belton. Yep. He's 6'6, 336. This is listed weight. Their left guard, Anthony Carter, 6'3, 305. Their center, Dylan McMahon, who Ryan talked about, 6'4, 305. Their right guard, Derek Eason, 6'4, 315. And their right tackle, Timothy McKay, is 6'4, 312. So they, got, they have some good beef up front on their offensive line. Not like massive, massive outside of belt, but they've got good beef up front. McMahon's a really, a really sound, like a good, a good center as well. I'm not sure I would say he would start over Zeke, but like he would be in the two deep at center, in my opinion. Like he'd be a good, really good backup. So mm-hmm. yeah. We have a super chat down here, right? Let me get down to that one. We had Tony Spicali. Spicali. I live in Raleigh. 
and we'll be going to the game on Saturday. Go Irish. NC State will be tough, but I have faith the Irish will pull it out. I, I mean, th- this is a game, Ryan, that Notre Dame should win. Yeah. The, the the point of when we when we praise a team like NC State, it's it's not to prepare you guys for a loss. It's to get you to that if Notre Dame wins to appreciate the the quality of the victory. Yes. Right? Like we yep. didn't blow smoke up your you know what's about Navy's offense or Tennessee State, right? Like they should have dominated those games. And they did. I mean, we predicted blowouts in both games. And actually the the Tennessee State game, we were all pretty much a, within a couple points of being accurate. You know, I predicted yeah. 62 to seven. It was 56 to three. Vince was 55, I think 55 to three. Ryan, you predicted a blowout as well. What was you? 56 nothing, man. I was yeah. close. I mean, yeah. Nothing. I was close. <laughs> so they did what they needed to do. This NC State team is just going to be a tougher team than I think than some Notre Dame fans, at least the ones that I've talked to, think they're going to be. They're a good football team. But, yes, it is still a game that if Notre Dame is who we think they are, this is a game you win. It may be more it – may, maybe it's 24-20. to 20, Maybe it's 27-20. Maybe it's 30-24. to 24. I don't care. Get yeah. the win. Keep building. That's the key. Now, if Notre Dame really brings it on Saturday, could they win convincingly? Yeah, they can. Yeah. But I, there, there's a, expecting there's a, that to me is just like yeah. okay, let's yeah, let's appreciate the quality of the opponent. It, it could definitely be a hard fought, close victory. But there is also a world where if Notre Dame won thirty four seventeen, would I be shocked? Mm. I wouldn't be shocked. It'd be like, no. yeah, okay, makes sense. No. They're more talented, like for sure. And, and you know, a, a game kind of like where maybe it's like forty two to seventeen, where Notre Dame's not winning that much, but NC State has to try to do things to get back in it. That forces yeah. a turnover. Notre Never, Dame puts yeah. it away late in the game. You're like, yeah. you know, it's a little bit more competitive than the final score. Kind of like the two thousand and eight seventeen game, Ryan, where Notre Dame won thirty five fourteen, but it was a com- it was a closer game than that for two and a half quarters. You know, like yes. you you fell behind or you fell behind early on the blocked punt that NC State scored on. You know, then you came back and scored and it was a, you know, and then you had the pick six that kind of broke it open and a couple things like that happened and Notre Dame just took control of the game, right? I mean, sometimes games are like that. But then the Wake Forest game a few weeks later is an 11 point, 11 point game. But if you actually break it down, it wasn't nearly as competitive as the NC State game was where Notre Dame won by 21. So final yeah. score sometimes can be deceiving by how much you controlled the action. Sure. You know, that that's the reality of it. But this is a good football team. Should Notre Dame win? Absolutely Notre Dame should win. Is yeah. there a chance that Notre Dame could win convincingly? Sure. But if, if, if Notre Dame wins, to your point, Ryan, like 27-20, we should all be, you know, relatively pleased. Hey, they got the win. There's some stuff to clean up. You got to do this. You got to do that. But guys, you're going to get, you got this win. You're going to go whoop Central Michigan next week. And you're going to be 4 0 and in the top 10 when Ohio State comes to town, right? Like that, that's the goal. That's the goal. Get the win. That's the key. That's the key. We have another super chat from uh, some from Slot Kings real quick. Just so the AP poll came out. And their name is at number 10. Thank you for the super chat, Slot Kings. Yeah, they were 10 in the AP poll, Ryan, and 11 in the coaches poll, which is, progress. I had him at, I had him at nine. In my poll, uh, because I had Florida State leap them, so like I had two teams fall behind them. I had LSU and Clemson both fell behind them. I had Notre Dame at ten and Florida State at eleven. I jumped Florida State into the top five because I think they deserve that based on how they finished last year, combined with the impressiveness of their victory over an LSU team that I thought was a tad overrated, but still yes. a very convincing second half victory. And, and if Florida, if Jordan, if Jordan Travis doesn't make like two just stupid throws in that game it could have been even worse 
it could in have my been, opinion. Yeah. It really yeah. could have been. Yeah. So, and then they had what, like four drops in the first half. Like LSU was a little fortunate to be up, but at the same time, Florida State was also fortunate not to be down even more because yeah. you know LSU had that really just bad t- inside the five sequence on their opening drive that didn't make a lot of sense. But it was a very strange first half. Like I thought Florida State outplayed LSU, but the way it played out, LSU should have had an even more convincing lead. And the second have. half was just, I mean, just a route. And LSU wanted no part of whatever Florida State was doing in the second half. None. And it made no adjustments to defend Keon Coleman. None. None. Oh, man. I got I got attacked before. I, I think I was on a podcast and I talked about it. I thought LSU's secondary was going to struggle a lot. That, like, and people aren't talking yeah. enough about that, you know. And, uh, man, they found out who Keon Coleman is. Transfer yep. from Michigan State. They found out that Johnny Wilson's a pretty dang good possession receiver, man. Really moves the sticks consistently. So, yeah, Florida State's a talented team, man. They're really talented. I think that they're going to be a really good football team this year. I just would say, like, again, first week overreactions that always happen. Florida State's winning the national championship and LSU's Mm -hmm. bad. It's like, no, they're just somewhere in between on those types of things, right? LSU was overrated. There's no doubt. Are they still a good football team? I believe so. They're still a good football team. I still have them in the top 20. Yeah. yeah, Florida State, I think, is going to be a very good football team. But are they at like a foregone national championship, you know, going to make the playoff? Like, let's let they still got some stuff to prove. Let's see how they do against Clemson in three weeks, you know. And yes. and there's way too many overreactions to what happened in week one. And this is kind of every year we do this. And that's OK. I mean, we're all excited. The football's back. We want to talk football. But yes. it's funny listening to the LSU people after the game. And they're all like, oh, the secondary is a major problem and et cetera. Et cetera. And I'm like, oh, I'm, like, like you're pointing out, like, uh well, the best part of the weekend, Ryan, I said this last night, was was I was listening to the one dude whose show I went on. And the whole premise of them being mad was because I said LSU. I went on that. I forget even the name of the show I went on. But I said, you know, Brian Kelly inherited a dumpster fire. And that caused LSU oh, fans to lose their company. minds. We talked about right? that yesterday on the, on, the, yeah. on the thing. Someone asked about your crane and company um, segment. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, so, and, and it was like, well, I kind of – this is exactly what I was talking about. Like – if anything, we were trying to convince LSU fans, like, pump the brakes. You're not there yet. Yep. And if you do beat Florida State, you should really appreciate that because Florida State's better than you right now. You know, but they didn't want to hear that. And then to hear them say, well, he inherited a dumpster fire. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Well, the, the, the worst part is someone asked about that whole segment on the thing. And I was like, one thing that you had said that I think people got upset about, I forget if it was on Recruiting. that show or Tiger Burt, was that, well, the recruiting thing, but then the other thing was that you said that you don't think Brian Kelly was going to win a national championship. Yeah. And then, like, everyone's trying to do the gotcha thing when they had a pretty good year last year. I'm like, but guys, they still didn't win a national championship. Though. They lost like- <laughs> four games. I know, I know. And, and, yeah. and they're, they're, they lost four games, Ryan, and I believe all of them were by double digits, correct? Well, except for the Florida State game. And as I pointed out, Florida State was, was a, was a f- close game, I think, too. 15-point like, game. It was oh, a 15-point actually- game. They got whooped yeah. by Texas A&M. Florida State yeah. game was close, but as we pointed out, Florida State was a fumbled ball at the one-yard line away from just rolling them off the field in the fourth quarter. Uh, so, Florida yeah, State just, has been the better, much better football team two years in a row against LSU. Yes. Like, that's just where yes. you are with that. Yeah. Yes. We have a question about that, Ryan, that I'm going to jump down to that one. We have kind of about this. Let me, let me find that question. It was kind of about – here you go. Here's one from Todd Brammy that's kind of related to this topic. Do you think Mike Norvell just has Brian Kelly's number? They've played three straight season openers, and the 2021 game had no business going into overtime, and obviously LSU lost the last two years. 
The interesting thing about that 2020 game, Ryan, and, and Notre Dame also beat Florida State in 2020, but if you remember, Norvell didn't coach that game because he tested positive for COVID. So he had to stay, stay at home and watch the game at home, which whatever. Yeah. But the 2021 game, Notre Dame should have blown Florida State out. They were up 38-24 in the second half and called off the dogs, which was yeah. typical Brian Kelly BS, and that allowed Florida State to get back in. So to me, that game was more about Notre Dame not doing what it needed to do in the second half than it was about Norvell necessarily having Brian Kelly's number. That's just who Brian Kelly is. I think it's – look, guys, he has the better roster. We've said this all summer. He's got the better roster right now than Brian Kelly. And in fairness, if we're going to take the whole I can't stand Brian Kelly hat off and just, like, let's be honest, the whole thing is is that you all have been inflating LSU's roster this entire offseason. You inflated how good LSU was last year in their 10-4 and four season. And, Ryan, you talked about the Texas A&M game. Texas A&M was up 17-7 to seven at halftime, but they yeah. were up at one point in time in the fourth quarter, 38-17. to 17. LSU scored last in that game. And and uh, they gave up – the rushing stats were ridiculous. They gave up 274 rushing yards to LSU, 225 to Devin A-Chain in that game last year. I mean, you've lost three of your last four games. Like, the reality is what I said about LSU has been right this whole time. He inherited a dumpster fire. Yeah. You don't turn that around in one year. You don't. You just it took him three to turn Notre Dame around, and I would argue he inherited more talent at Notre Dame than he did at LSU. With all due respect to Malik Neighbors, he ain't Michael Floyd. Yeah, and they had Michael Floyd and Tyler Eifert. He and also had like it, it's also the transfer portal era, so I think he only had like thirty six scholarship players to right. start out, right? Right, so like yeah, it's tough, right? It's tough. He, you know, yeah, you got Harold Perkins. No, he had Manti Teo his first three years at Notre Dame, right? Like so. You know, when you look at Mike Norvell, for example, Ryan, Mike Norvell didn't turn that thing around overnight, even with the transfer portal. It took him to what, like year three or four? To, yep. I mean, year three, they started to turn around. And Mike Norvell went three and six and five and seven his first two years, right? Like LSU fans are losing their minds. And I understand it because that's just who Brian Kelly is. Yes. But this isn't the team that you thought it was. It was an overrated team. They ignored. They put so much on that win over Alabama, which was a great win, by the way. They outcoached Alabama that game. They outplayed Alabama that game. I thought the two-point conversion call was the right call. It was a gutsy call. It was If it doesn't work, you're getting destroyed if yep. that call doesn't work. But it was the right call, in my opinion. Right? You don't want to go to overtime with Bama. You've got it. You're two yards away from beating them. Go yep. do it. And it was the right call. They, but they that win caused people to ignore the fact that they got the brakes beat off of them against Tennessee. They got absolutely dismantled by Georgia. They got absolutely yep. dismantled by Texas A&M in the second half of that game. That was, the, that was the worst one, Brian. Sorry to cut you off, but like oh, I good. literally was talking to an LSU person that covers LSU who was trying to convince me that LSU had actually played well against Georgia in the SEC championship game. I'm just like, what are we talking about? What? I mean, they lost by 20-something points, and it was right. even like uh, – And they called the dogs off in the second half. I mean, but that's, right. that's the problem is they live in this fantasy world. And that fantasy world, and this is what I said about Brian, Brian Kelly's going to find it a little challenging because if he was at Notre Dame and the same thing was happening, Notre Dame fans would be making every excuse in the world for why they haven't lived up to what people thought that they would be. The difference at LSU is they have they live in such a fantasy land. That not all of them. We have some really good LSU people in this chat. But a lot of them live in this fantasy land of they think their team is way better than it is. They think Jaden Daniels is better than he is. They think the receiving core is better than he is. Look, I like I like the neighbor's kid. He's not in the same universe as the kids they had back in 2019. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, he, no, he just isn't. I mean, with all due respect to the kid, their yeah. running back room is a mess. And the running back you went and got to try to fix it didn't play. You know, they, yeah, they over they overhyped the offensive line outside of Will Campbell. That's a that's an issue for them, in my opinion. Their defense is not as talented. They're, they had to go to Rutgers. I mean, not Rutgers. They had to go to Boston College to get a kid to self solidify their secondary. I mean, that that's a problem, guys. That's a problem. And and then they want to hype up. Oh, well, look at Brian Kelly's recruiting, and I'm like, they were recruiting really well before he got there. Like literally. Last year's recruiting class, they all said, oh, proof that Brian Keller recruits. It had fewer points, I believe, on the 247 thing than than the pre- two previous classes had. It, it's not hard to recruit at LSU. No. It's not. No. It's, it's not hard to recruit. But the, the, the point is, is this team is going to need more time. Yeah. And they just got beat by a guy that's in year four of, built, of rebuilding that roster who has perfectly utilized the transfer yeah. portal. I mean, you and I have been talking about this all summer, Ryan. Florida State has done – the portal the way it should be done at a place like Florida State. He's not doing it like Lincoln Riley's doing it. He's been very targeted. They're not bringing in a lot of numbers in the portal, but the ones they bring in are really good and in very strategic. They needed to improve at corner. Take Fentrell Cypress off that field last night, Ryan, and that game looks a little bit different, in my opinion. Would you agree with that? Like, he was pretty sticky in coverage against a not a great receiving core for LSU, but he's better than what they had. Graden Fisk. That was an impactful pickup. Keon Coleman was huge. You take Keon Coleman off that field last night or on Sunday night, I still think Florida State wins, but it's more of a closer game. The, the word, see, I hate some analysis sometimes because all I heard was like, Deuce Chestnut stinks. I'm just like, Deuce Chestnut was in pretty good position most right. of the time. It's just like, Keon Coleman's a dude, man. Exactly. Like, he's just a dude. That was more, <laughs> why are you putting Deuce Chestnut in situations where he has to be one on one with Keon Coleman the whole game? Yes. Like, that's yes. bad coaching. That's yes. bad coaching. Well, that, that was the biggest thing for me was that, like, Florida State was the more talented team. I think they were convincingly more talented. But they also got outcoached as well. Like, LSU got outcoached against Florida State, especially yep. in the second half, in my opinion. And there's, especially on the FSU offense against the – Alex, how, was, it, he coached – Alex Atkins coached circles around Matt House last night. How do How is it a good idea to drop Harold Perkins in the coverage 38 times and rush him seven times? How is that a good idea? I, I don't understand how it's that's not. a good idea. He's an it's off-ball linebacker. It. Cool. But, yeah. like, why isn't he – he should be utilized the way Notre Dame uses their linebackers a lot, you know, of, like, just getting them right. blitzing them and stuff. Like, why is he right. not attacking? It's just – yeah, it wasn't a great yep. coach job by LSU this past weekend. Yep, it wasn't. But I still think they're going to be okay. Like, yeah. because um, my hope – again, take my, take my anti-Brian Kelly sentiment out and just look at this as a college football analyst. The hope should be that LSU fans should should come down and find a more realistic understanding of who they are right now and then evaluate the coaching staff off of that. They're just not a really talented roster right now. Yeah. They're not. I, I, I had to hear all offseason how they're they're going to win the East by a landslide. I'm just like, yeah, guys, West, like, yeah. agree. Or West, agree. yeah. I'm just like, guys, let's take it back. They, and they won the West <laughs> last year with three losses, two in yeah. conference. Right, and it also, was a down year in the West yeah. last year, guys. And also, Alabama's was still a good football team last year. But we, I think, we can all be honest with ourselves that like that was the least impressive Alabama team that we've seen in a few years. <laughs> like it wasn't the best Alabama team yeah. we've ever seen over the last few years. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And they said, well, they had Bryce Young, and that's the only reason they went eleven and two. Like yeah. seriously, you you trade LSU and Bry- and, and and no dude. Look, Jaden Daniels is a good quarterback. Yeah. But that's it. That's all he is, is a good quarterback. And, and you and trade him and like, Bryce Young last year, 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I just love that. That's another, that's another um, tagline. This whole off season, right? This headline was Jane Daniels Heisman Heisman um, favorite. I'm just like, guys, he had 28 total touchdowns right. last year. Why are we doing this? Right. I just don't understand, man. I have to see every top 10 quarterback list with Jane Daniels over Sam Hartman. I'm just like, for what? For yeah. what reason is that happening? Like, it's just, yeah, yeah it's weird. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, though. This little shade right here is, is really actually kind of funny. I, I love this comment from Bernie. Uh, Bernie said, uh, Brian Kelly struggles against ACC teams since he left Notre Dame. <laughs> Look, I, I love the fact that you could say, hey, you know, at, at, at Notre Dame, at Brian Kelly was what? He won his, what, last three games against Florida State? Lost his first two. Lost in 11 and lost in 15, uh, 14. And then beat them in 18, beat them in 20, beat them in 21. So he went, yep. won his last three. Now that's a funny little shade, but in fairness, he never faced a Florida State team as good as this one. And it was Agreed. not, not even close to as good as this one in my opinion. And I still don't think this Florida State team's like this. They're back. This is 2013 Florida State again. They still have stuff to prove too, but I'm comparing it to what the Notre Dame teams that they faced in recent years. Like the last three Notre Dame teams, last three Florida State teams that Notre Dame beat all had losing records. Yep. This team is not going to have a losing record. What's more impressive is Sam Hartman's 2-0 against Jordan Travis and including a, a win last year. That That's more impressive. But I do I do love the shade, by the I, way. I, lo- I love that you mentioned Alex Atkins as well because that guy is a budding star. Oh, my in gosh. The ranks, man. Budding star. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing is, too, that I loved about what he did for Florida State is they never panicked. There's some stuff not working early that they liked, but they were just, they were just, the timing was off on some stuff. And he just kind of kept, Hey guys, we're fine. We're just execute, do what we're supposed to do. We're, we're hurting ourselves. That was the biggest thing for me and for Florida State at halftime offensively is they didn't reinvent the wheel at halftime offensively. They said, guys, stuff is there. There was a couple protection adjustments they made to give Jordan Travis a little bit more time. Uh, But the stuff was there. I was like, guys, let's execute. Let's not shoot ourselves in the foot with penalties, with forcing balls, with whiffing on blocks. What they did at halftime for Florida State was, hey, let's clean it up. We have a good plan. We're not executing that plan. And then make it a couple tweaks. I'm, they coach – I mean, he coached circles around. Him and Mike Norvell and that staff, they coached circles around Matt House in the second half and, and that staff. I mean, it wasn't even – it was a clinic, Ryan, yeah. an absolute clinic. Well, well, I, I'm just glad I won't have to see Matt House in the top five of a defensive coordinator ranking for big game. Based on what? Yeah. Like, well, I've never understood. See, this is but this is the whole point, Ryan, is there's these things going on this offseason about how LSU. And it's like, this is the stuff that made me want to barf during my tenure, when during his tenure at Notre Dame. Because Kelly would just go, like, just t- hype up those, how how great he is and all these other things are. And, and it's like, what what did Matt House do to deserve to be in that? Well, they beat Alabama. They gave up 31 points in beating Alabama. They gave sure. up 40 to LSU. They gave up 50 to George. Well, 43 to George because Brian Pullian gave up a touchdown. Yeah. You know, like what, what you gave up 38 to you gave up over 200 rushing yards to Texas AM last year. And, and you know, so it's like, what what did he do to be in that conversation? Like Al Golden yeah. was a better defensive coordinator last year than Matt House. Give Al Golden last year Harold Perkins, Ryan. Yeah. You know sure. what I mean? Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, think about that. And so it's just, it's, it's maddening. It's maddening. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're looking for last-minute tickets to this weekend's big matchup between Notre Dame and NC State, Game Time is the place for you. They take the stress out of buying tickets. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theaters near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball games, concerts, comedy shows, theaters, and more. The Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section or and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code IRISH for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code IRISH for $20 off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. That's gametime.co. We had a question from David Lowe. Said, I missed the reaction show for the game being been going through a lot. Could you answer what y'all guys think of this Notre Dame team? Deep. It's a very broad long, question. Long, <laughs> athletic, talented, and physical. I mean, now, now what we need to learn, David, and this is kind of what we discussed earlier, Ryan, is we need to see this team clean some stuff up because there have been things on film. I, I, I'm curious if you agree with this things on film where you're like, if Notre Dame would have had to play a Duke, an LSU, a state, a Clemson, a, you know, a team that, that kind of lost or played a, a tougher opponent, would, would we be feeling the same way we do about this team? Maybe right. they'd still two and zero, but you know, maybe not as impressively as they are. We're going to learn that this weekend, right? And they've done what they needed to do. They've done things we haven't seen at Notre Dame since the '30s and the '70s. That that's impressive. I don't care who you're playing, right? But now we find out who this team, just how good. They, like I think this team is really good, Ryan. There's no doubt. Yeah. This weekend we find out just how good they are. But you, you can't you can't dispute the athleticism in my view. You can't dispute the length. You can't dispute the depth of this football team. We're just going to find out just how clean this team is, um, how well this team can execute, the adjustments that they make. Do they get better from week to week to week, or do they keep making the same mistakes again? That that can often be the difference between a a nine and three, ten and two team, and a team that's in the college football playoff. Is you, you've got things that you need to get better at. Can you get better at them? Or do you wait until it's too late to get like can you can you look at a game you won 56 to three and and held a team to 150 yards and say, we got a lot of stuff to clean up? Or do you do you do what Brian Kelly did and say, but look at the stats, look at the score. We we blew this team out. We're good. And that goes back to what you and I talk about all the time. If this staff is process oriented yeah. and not results oriented, 
then they're going to recognize they have a lot of stuff to clean up and they're going to fix it and adjust it. And this team's going to be really flipping good. If not, then we'll see this weekend that Notre Dame just thinks they can just roll the ball out and go beat a team. And they're good, but they're not that good. They're not there yet where they can do that right. Uh, David, I think I said this on the show before, but this is the first Notre Dame team in the last few years that I've looked at and, and truly felt that they could match any team athletically on a week to week basis. Like, I don't think that they're when they play Ohio state this week, I mean, um, in a couple of weeks, I don't think that that game uh, coming into that game, I'm not going to be like, wow, Ohio state is just so much more athletic everywhere than Ohio- Notre Dame. I don't believe that. Are there a couple spots that that's still true? Sure. Right. Like, sure. But they belong on the field with them. Right. There were positions. I think back to 2020 against Alabama in the playoff where I'm just like, Notre Dame just can't match that man. Like they have no answer for Devonta Smith. Like, they have zero answers for that. Najee Harris. They have zero answers for that guy. There's just some games where I've just been in the past of like Notre Dame just I don't want to say doesn't belong because they competed, but like they weren't nearly in the realm of athleticism compared to the team that they played. I don't think that's the case this year. I think Notre Dame athletically, this is one of the better teams they've had over the past few years. I think they will be long on the field athletically with Ohio State, with Clemson, with USC. And if they make the playoffs, I think that they'll be able to match some of the SEC guys that we always kind of right. fawn and, and drool over, right? Like, I right. I just think that this Notre Dame team is one of the more talented and athletic that they've been in some time. Now, results are going to show us how good they are. Like, that's a, such a hard question for me to answer, right? Because at the end of the day, it's about what the results are each and every Saturday. But I think from a talent level perspective, Notre Dame is going to be able to match just about any team in college football this year, which is different. It's a different feeling right. than some past years. Now, let's see if they can – Put it all together. Yes, we're going to find out. We have a super chat down here. Brian, let's get to that. From Joe Papiti, who said, checked out years, uh, BK, Brian Kelly checked out years ago. He's just cashing out. Enough about him. Super hot take. Buffs versus Knowles in the natty. By the way, Coach Pride didn't take over my account. LOL. Man. I don't believe you. I don't believe I don't, you. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Dion took over your account. Look, guys. I love how he said, I love Joe's comment though. Super hot take. I mean, he knows, yes, he knows exactly what he's doing. Uh, you know, they've got a lot. They got to clean up defensively if they're going to do that. Like what I, I learned I on Saturday is they got really too great either, but like they have no, some athletes. No. There's no doubt they have some athletes. They're, yeah. Their roster's better than I thought it was going into week one. I will say that, but you could also see in the game, there's some holes that need to get addressed and they're not quite there yet. So, uh, let, let's. I, I will say this, Ryan. Coming out of that game, my my baseline for Colorado has been has been reoriented to where now I don't think going six and six is the great achievement that I thought it was a week ago. I'll be honest about that. But this is still not a team that you're like Pac-12 favorites. You know, I mean, the win over TC was great, but as I pointed out, this is a team that's given up over fifty points a game its last four games. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the defense did nothing for me from a Colorado perspective. The offensive line didn't do much for me. Shadur Sanders is yeah. much better than I thought he was. Yeah, Travis Hunter's a freak. I kind of already knew that Travis Hunter was a freak. Dylan Edwards is really fast. Who would have thought that Dylan Edwards right. was really fast, right? I mean, right. Colorado has some athletes. I think that I think that they have, the team seems to have bought into Dion, Coach Sanders, which I think is yeah. great for them. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that they're going to build something pretty cool. I think it'll be good, right? I, but I, I just, I push back, Joe, just because I just think 
it's still way too early for yeah. that, man. It's still way too early. Yeah. There's there's some roster building that needs to happen specifically in the trenches and defensively. And yeah. also there's a thing about sustainability that I think we need Correct. to talk about, right? Is that Travis Hunter played 110 snaps this past week. Right. You can't play that kid 110 snaps every think. single week. You're going to kill him. <laughs> yeah. You're going to well, kill and, him. And it's just unwise to kind of run your trap after one game and, you know, and yeah. it's like, ah, do you believe? And I'm like, hey, man, how about you? Like, hey, great win. Like, I, the, the the problem is, like, if you just would have handled it with a little bit more, I mean, you know, talk your talk about your team. Yeah. But there was just some of the stuff just to me was like, why are we going here? What does this have to do with the game? Like, our job is not to believe in you and all this kind of stuff. Right? It was a great win, man. Enjoy the win. But let's see you string a few of these together. Right? Let's yeah. let's. That's I think, what I I think most practical people also knew that TCU was going to take a massive step back, yeah, right? I, you lost your starting quarterback, your leading rusher, your best yeah. wide receiver went in the first round, your offensive coordinator, several defensive players, including Travis Hodges Tomlinson, who won the Jib Thorpe Award last year, right? Yeah. Like Sonny Dykes did a tremendous job in year one, but it was one of those situations sort of like Dave Aranda at Baylor a couple of years where you're like, they are winning because everything kind of sh- – like yeah. everything aligned in that year, right? But like, there's still building that needs to happen right. on that roster. That roster is not good. At like, right. it's not a great roster right now. They, they struggled one the year, but they need to rebuild yeah. and get better. And depth. they were still two interceptions inside the five yard line away from winning that game by two touchdowns. Right. Right. right? I mean, you know. So let's just see how it, how it kind of plays out a little bit. Yeah. Right. And, and I'll, I'll do respect to Amani Bailey, but like Colorado, you let him average like 11 yards a pop and ran for like 160 yards. So, like, yeah. you know, there's some things that are going to stop. There's some stuff you got to work on first. Yeah. yeah. But see, that's also the way that Dion conducted himself after the game. I don't like it, but that's exactly why so many of those kids believe in him. Sure. Because, like, oh, he's going to have our back. Player, I think he's yeah. going to, you know, he's going to, he's going to go fight for us. He's going to defend us. He's going to, I mean, that's why a big reason why the, we may hate it, right? We may not like, like I have no problem with him defending his team. I thought he went too far in certain areas and started going into things like, but it's like, but that's what works for him. Right. right? Like that's why those kids believe in him. That's why if he, I said this the other day, Ryan, if, if he would have taken the head coaching job, if, if Alaska Anchorage was starting a football team and Deion Sanders took over that program, Travis Hunter is going to follow Deion Sanders at Alaska Anchorage and play for him. Cause he believes in him that, and that's the thing that, that works for them. That's why they're, they got the most out of their talent on Saturday. Can they do that over the course of an entire season? We'll find that out. How does Coach Sanders react when there's some adversity? We're going to find that out. That's all part of the right. learning process. But those kids believe in him because he acts that way. And at the end of the day, Dion's doing what Dion's doing for his players, not for you or for me or for ESPN or for Fox or anybody that covers that football team. He sure. is saying things because that's what he believes he needs to do to build the culture he, he wants in that program. You may not like it. I get it. Thanks. And I don't, and I don't agree with everything he said. Like there was no need for the degree in which he, he brought the things he brought up. But at the same time, I don't necessarily have an issue with people in the media being called out for things that we say. Right. I mean, it's it's if you're if you're being calling me out because I predicted your team to lose, like, come on, dude. So are you going to be OK with me coming at you if you lose the next time? And I predicted that. No, you'd be pretty pissed about that. But if I'm writing things negative about your program and his style won't work and he's not this and he can't do that, and he can't do that. And these kids can't do that. And you're really just trashing the program. OK, you want to come at me? Come at me. 
That's okay. I, I think there's there's room for like the media. We're not this like protected class of people that you just can't criticize. Yes, you can. If you live in a business, if you work in a business where your job is to to offer criticism, you need to be willing to take that as well. Right now, you don't have to agree with all the criticisms that come back. I mean, there's somebody said something to me on Twitter yesterday. I was like, I'm good. Like, yeah, you can try to give me advice you need. I'm good. I'm I'm comfortable where I'm at. But, it, you know, at the same time, it's like I'd have Notre Dame coaches reach out to me about something I wrote. So, hey, man, you weren't accurate about this. This is this. this. I'm like, cool. I'll, I'll fix that. I'll correct that. I'll make that. I'll make that adjustment. But that's but everything he's doing is because that's what the players. That's what the players needed to believe. Sure. Right. Like he believes in us. And he believes we can be this. And, man, they, they went out there and they played like a team that they played like they were the returning national runners-up. Like, if you just looked at the mentality and, the, and the, the attitude, the swagger, you'd have thought Colorado was the team coming off the year in which they played Georgia for the national championship. I mean, you, you know what I mean, Ryan? And, and he gets the credit for that because that's a program, as you said, that was one of the worst teams I have ever seen in my life last year. Terrible. Yeah. And I don't think you can turn you could turn a, ro- a roster over. We still don't know how well that roster turnover is going to go. We have seen teams win big games early and still not be very good. And and the thing about TCU is they were really good last year. But that was a team that was really bad the year before. Who are they? You know, like did all the things just kind of go right for them last year? We'll, we'll find that out. We'll find that out. But we're also well, yeah, we a couple of years off of Baylor going 11 and whatever they went, but and then right. they'd lose to Texas State this first week, right? right? So, like, things convincingly, yeah. convincingly, yeah. TJ Finley, baby, throwing oh my goodness. spears out there. Brian mm-hmm. Hockney, what are your thoughts of the 335 defense that I believe NC State runs? Do you think we need to adjust offensively for this defense? I mean, adjust from the standpoint, Brian, that you do every week, all right? I mean, there's there's always adjustments like, hey, we ran inside zone this way against Tennessee State. We're going to need to run it this way against against NC State. We're going to need to run it this way against Ohio State because every team presents unique challenges. Uh, the challenges are based on alignment, the pressures they bring, personnel. Ryan, I mean, that's going to be part of it too where some weeks you're like, you know, we're, we're going to have to try to find ways to protect our boundary receivers because they've got Benjamin Morrison over there. Then other weeks you're like, we need to find ways to – get the ball more to the boundary because we have a big matchup there. That that stuff always adjusts from week to week. I don't think that there's a, a situation when you look at Notre Dame and this NC State team where they have to say, well, we can't be who we who we are. We're going to have to completely go here, go away from this, do this, do that because of what NC State does. I don't think they need to do that. And then something else we talked about, Brian, and, and we talked about this after you got your question in. So uh, you, you may have heard this answer. But the nice thing about this matchup is, is Notre Dame has seen a defense with a similar structure and philosophy already this season against Navy. A three-down look, heavy run stunts, really good run defense last year. Notre Dame had some success. Now, Navy's a little a little bigger than, than or excuse me, NC State's bigger than Navy was. Not by a ton, but they're bigger. But the philosophy is still very similar. The edge pressures, the run stunts, the early down pressures – playing a lot of man, but, you know, NC State plays a little bit more off man than Navy. So those are all things that we're going to have to see. How they're going to adjust some minor adjustments, but there's a lot of things just philosophically that are going to carry over from week game one to game three because of the structure of those defenses. 
Peter Pete Weber asks, how much of Colorado's win was their own success versus TCU not just just not being as good as people may have thought? Here's my thing. I'm taking nothing away from Colorado because like I've said, like TCU did not play well on Saturday. I mean, they're just turning guys loose. You're getting Colorado guys catching balls wide open. That's a bad job by TCU. But Colorado did what you're supposed to do when teams make those mistakes. They made them pay for it. That's the mark of a good football team. Uh, What we saw on Saturday with Colorado and and TCU was TCU has problems and Colorado is better than we thought, but Colorado also has some holes that you look at and say, if they try that against that team, I don't think it works as well because that team is going to be better defensively or that team's going to be better offensively. Uh, you, you can't bank on a team. Like if you're going to bank on Travis Hunter having to make insane interceptions inside the, at the goal line every year, week to win a game by three, you're going to have weeks where that's not going to happen. And teams are going to kind of get a little bit of a read on, on what Sean Lewis is doing with this football team. Those, are, those things are all true. And none of those things, to me, take away from what Colorado did this weekend. It was a great win. It was a, they need, it was a, a needed win. They went on the road against a Power 5 team, and no TCU is not as good as they were last year. Um, but, uh, you know, this team is going to be a whole lot better. And, and so I, we, can, we can do two things at once, right? We can say TCU did not play well and also say, but nice job by Kyle. Ryan, you, 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 you're good. You're good. Yeah, you're good. Go do what you do. Um, you know, those things are all, those things are all true. Th- those two, two things can be true at once. Right. And, and, and I don't think that takes away from what, from what Colorado did, in my opinion, John Kelly asks, not really sure how it works, but I know there's a spy for the quarterback, especially a guy like Armstrong, who will be that guy or guys, uh, be on Saturday. I'm not a big believer in spies personally. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I, uh, I look at it this way. I care more about having a sound structure that that is gap conscious as opposed to having a spy. I think when you when you have a spy, you're 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 protecting against this, but you then expose yourself to these things. So if I'm if I'm a team, if I can identify who your spy is going to be, I promise you I'm going to be able to do some things pass game wise that I'm going to hurt you, unless your spy is like Jeremiah Wusu Koromo or Jalen Smith. I just I'm not a big fan of spying. I I, I care more about. I, I thought I thought North Notre Dame had a really good game plan last year against NC against North Carolina in this regard, where they didn't have a spy per se, but the way that they were blitzing and the way they used Maris Luafau, they kept crashing him inside a lot. And what they were doing was is they were making sure that the inside gaps were secure, and then they were doing a lot of twists. So they were crashing the middle and then looping their defensive tackles outside. That's how Riley Mills got one of his sacks. And so what was happening is they were doing such a better job because of those pressures of of protecting the inside gaps and not letting those run-throughs happen after the first series. Now, first series, they let Drake May run on them, but after that, they completely shut it down. And it was more about being aggressive but gap-conscious as opposed to a spy. And I just thought that was a, a much better way of, of planning and game planning to be able to attack you know, that type of quarterback. And, and, and I'll be honest, when you look at Notre Dame's schedule last year, protecting it, you know, handling mobile quarterbacks was a, was a big issue for Notre Dame in past years. And what was funny last year, when you, when you look at it, the, the quarterbacks that hurt them more running the ball before Caleb Williams were the guys you didn't expect them to hurt them running the football. Right. I mean, you look at Jack Plummer did well, but they kept Drake may in check. They kept Jaron Hall in check. 
Uh, they kept Spencer uh, or uh, Garrett Schrader in check uh, running the football. They didn't let the Clemson quarterbacks do anything running the football. I, I thought they did a pretty good job of that last season against some of the more mobile quarterbacks until, you know, obviously we got the Caleb Williams and that they did not do a very good job against him. JHT1988 asks, uh, is it a concern for coaches going for from two inferior opponents to more formidable one? Is there a slight adjustment period or doesn't practice competition keep players sharp? Look, that's a great question, JHT, but I think you answered your own question. It's And now Golden mentioned this last week. They're still doing a lot of ones-on-ones, and that helps keep you sharp. There's always a concern when you go from what you've seen the first two weeks to a better opponent because there's this thought of, but it's it's more so about, to me, it's more so about the, the mindset of my team as opposed to can we handle the tempo and the speed of the game. If you're doing one-on-ones against each other and you're doing seven-on-sevens against each other and you're getting some team periods in, which I would imagine this week, I would I would be willing to bet that today we see some some good-on-good in practice today for Notre Dame, at least in some of the early periods. Maybe not when you get to like team at the end of the practice. Like when they go like team stuff, that'll probably be scout-related. But I wouldn't be shocked at all if today we see we hear about Notre Dame doing some good-on-good against each other. I, I won't be shocked by that at all. And I think that would make a lot of sense. And things like that will help make sure that you're 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 able to be prepared for the sort of the speed of the game and and those type of things. There's some questions about how Sam Hartman would match up against uh, NC State and all those. I'm gonna ha- that's gonna be a big focal point of my show tomorrow. So that's why I'm not addressing some of that kind of stuff at this point in time. Andre Tonsil asks, uh, one, defense keep their aggression tendencies within the structure of the play. Two, offense continues to grow and stay efficient and effective. I agree. I agree, Andre. I mean that's that's I mean you're wrapping it up broadly, but yes, that's kind of the umbrella thing to fall in. Be aggressive. Right. But be a sound. What you're saying is, is be aggressive, but sound and then keep building on on what you're trying to be offensively, which is an efficient football team. Absolutely right. Joe Medina Medina says, what's your favorite famous offensive play call? Real or fictional? Mine is the annexation of Puerto Rico, though, as a Raiders fan. Red right 1980 and red right 88 is a close second for me. I don't know what what Denver called it. But my favorite play call, and it's just because of the way it was portrayed in NFL films, was in Super Bowl 33. Denver was up 10 to 6. Atlanta had the ball. They were driving. And the whole, the whole kind of time between series, Gary Kubiak, Mike Shanahan, and John Elway are, are working to come up with a play that they want to run to take advantage of Eugene Robinson kind of trying to bait John Elway. And if you remember, the backstory was Eugene was with the Packers the year before and intercepted Elway in the, in the end zone in the previous Super Bowl. Denver had forced a, a, a turnover. They tried to go for the jugular. I think it was like, I think it was 24 17 at the time. And Denver tried to go for the jugular. Elway gets picked off by Eugene Robinson. And he was a very aggressive, aggressive downhill guy. And so Denver came up with a play where they, they ran a bootleg, like half roll bootleg. And Elway rolled right, but they ran a corner post against Eugene, and he bit it, and Rod Smith just took him right over the top. And they spent the whole like time in between designing that one play because they thought they could get a home run on it. And that completely changed the – I mean, Denver was was controlling that game. You had that one fluke interception that hit off Shannon Sharp's hands that allowed Atlanta to stay in it. Denver, Denver was controlling that game, but that kind of – like, okay, you, you – what little hope you had is gone. It gave him a 17-6 lead and Denver never looked back. But that, that was my favorite play call ever, just how it went. And as a Broncos and especially as a John Elway fan, you know, it's just the perfect ending to his career. 
throwing for 300 yards, beating your former coach, winning a Super Bowl, winning a Super Bowl MVP is a great way to go out. Great way to go out. And he showed he can still launch that sucker. Even at 38, he can still launch that sucker. Brent Smith asks, when will we see Ben Minnick? He was an all-state safety in Ohio in 2022. I truly believe he was an under-the-radar, very good player who's being overlooked. Any thoughts? I had him as a four-star. I had him as the lowest-ranked kid in the class on defense, but it says more about the defensive class because I still had him as a four-star. He has he, Ben has had some issues with like some little minor injuries. I don't know where he's at right now health-wise, but I hope we see him soon. I, I, I'd have to go back and look. I don't know that he played on Saturday. I know we saw Don Schuler. I'd have to go back and watch again and see the personnel, see if we saw Ben Minnick or not. But I, I think we'll see him at some point in time this year as long as he can stay healthy. That's going to be the big key. Pete Weber asks, hypothetically, you get a phone call asking if you are a special guest expert to talk about Notre Dame football. Which show, which interviewer would you want to be with and why? I've never really thought about that, honestly. Um, I mean, the only the only thing I would care about is is getting on a platform that was big enough to promote our brand. I mean, that would be the big thing. I'm, I'm kind of enjoy being on this platform every day and talking to y'all, but I mean, as much as I hammer them and despise them if i was ever a you know made an appearance on like you know call in appearance for college game day or one of those things i mean that would be a thing that would help our brand but i i honestly haven't thought about that i i'll go on shows with people that call and ask me to go on shows for the most part not always but for the most part i'll i'll give people a i'll go on so i haven't really thought about that to be honest with you it yeah don't know Eric O'Brien, can we can we say the Great House Great House made Cade Klubnik a great player in high school? I mean, they both made each other great players. I mean, that 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 was a that was a mutual benefit that was a mutually beneficial relationship between those two. So, I would just say, guys, let's not um, let's not overreact to one game, right? Let's not overreact to one game and just kind of leave it at that. Ian Johnson says, is, is Jerron Payne underperforming? It feels like he isn't as good as we thought after the spring. I admit I, I may be subconsciously comparing him to the dudes that are S- Price, SMA, and Love. I think you are missing the boat a little bit on Jabron. Number one, he did have a 40-yard touchdown this weekend, so he showed he can rip off big plays too. But I think his his example is 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 how he's playing is an example of why we need to not let the sexy convince us of, uh, how good a guy is of playing or not. And and here here's an example of what I'm talking about. So this is why you need to be a member of the message board, Ian, and check this out. But if you look at the run game numbers, right? So right now, Aldrich estimates is averaging 8.2 yards per carry. This is only when you're with the first team offensive line. Jabron Payne's a 4.8. Jadarian Price is 8.3. Jeremiah Love's 8.8. Right, those those are way better than Jabron Payne at four point eight. I get where you're coming from, but here's here's another statistic. Here's another way of of gauging efficiency as a runner. Audric Estime's efficiency rate. Efficiency rate is something I explain. It's calculated based on is this a successful run or not, and if you either get a plus or a minus. And I've so like if it's first down, you need to get at least four yards. If it's second down, it's like it's kind of like that. 160 40 thing if it's third down you need to get the first down or not i don't care if it's two yard gain on third and one if you get the first down or you get a touchdown it's an efficient run if you look at jabron Payne, his longest run of the year is only 12 yards but he has the highest efficiency rate of all the running backs he's at 81.8 audrick's at 76 Jadarian price is at 66.7 and jeremiah love is at 55.6 they've had the sexy runs what jabron has done is he's had he's just been a consistent 
chain mover, stay ahead of the chains, move the chains. And here's another uh, good part about LeBron, about Jabron Payne. Jabron has four third down carries, and three of the four have gone for first downs. So he's moving the chains. That's another good part of what he's doing. So yeah, he hasn't done the sexy stuff yet, but Jabron is is been efficient, and he complements those other guys well. Because what's the point of putting four guys on the field that all do the exact same thing? What what's the point? There's no point in that. He brings something different to the table that complements the other guys, and it, it works for him. So that's um, yeah. Uh, Benjamin Weiss, I just saw what you just said, and I'm going to assume that you're being sarcastic on there because if you're being serious, that's going to hurt my heart, man. I thought you knew me better than that. That that hurts my heart. I hope you're just kidding on that one. Uh, let's get down to another one. Ian Johnson says, "Who has the worst offense, Clemson or Iowa? It seems they they are both on the same level." I, Iowa's is a little bit cleaner. I, I think Clemson has the better athletes. Clemson has the better talent. They have the, the better line, the better run game. Iowa has the, the the more veteran savvy quarterback, but he doesn't have the talent that that Cade Klubnik has. I mean, right now, I, I mean, after one game, it's Iowa. But it's not by much. Neither of them are great. End of the year, Clemson's going to have a better offense than Iowa. I have very little doubt about that. Again, we are making way too many season-long, big-picture prognostications about who teams are after one week, right? And and I remember it was a 2016, 2017, I think is what it was. Let me, let me go find it real quick. I think it was 2017, Alabama starts the season off, and they're coming off of a national championship, and they start the season off with a big win over Florida State. It was a battle of top 10 teams. I think it might have been a battle of top five teams. Florida State's coming off a year in which they were 10 and three. They were top 10. And Alabama beats them 24 to seven. And I'm like, man, that's a great victory. Well, come to find out, Florida State wasn't that good that year, right? I mean, so you didn't learn as much about Bama as maybe you thought you did. They weren't very good. I think they had a losing record that year, Florida State. So we're, we're going to learn things about teams that right now you, something may look like a big win and you're like, it wasn't end up not being that big of a win. Here's a great example. Remember in 2015, Notre Dame's, I think, second game of the third game of the year in 2015 was against Georgia Tech. And it was a, a matchup of top 15 teams. And you're like, wow, you know, Notre Dame, what a great win. They're playing the triple option. And it's Paul Johnson who had been, who had given Brian, he had two wins over Brian Kelly. And you're like, man, this is a, I think Notre Dame was favored to lose that game or it was a very close spread. Notre Dame beats them 30 to 22. Game wasn't that close. They had a couple onside kicks they got late. Notre Dame won pretty convincingly over a top 15 team. Well, Georgia Tech ended up going like three and nine that year, right? It wasn't a very big win. Then you go previously in two years before, in 2013, Notre Dame grinds out a 17 to 14 win over Michigan State. And that's a good win, but nobody, like, it wasn't an earth shattering win. They were unranked. Well, then you fast forward to the end of the year and Michigan State ends up 13 and one. And their only loss was Notre Dame. So to me, the way these teams play is not defined. Who these teams are has not been defined yet. We just got a small little taste of what they're going to be. I would, I would not, I'm not ready to write Clemson off just yet. I, I'm, I'm just not. I think it was as a wake up call. We're going to see how they respond to this, but I'm not ready to, to, to wipe them, uh, to uh, write them off just yet. Uh, Jay Clamp and Investments. Hey, do you cheer for Notre Dame in the press box or is it all business? Just wondering the atmosphere in there. There is a strict no cheering policy in the press box. And yeah, so it's a it's a pretty quiet uh, place. People are working. 
but uh, yeah, you can't cheer in the press box. Absolutely. Vince will punch me in the leg. He didn't on Saturday, so he must not have been too fired up about Tennessee State. But Vince will punch me in the leg sometimes or pinch me if he's really excited. And I don't know why he continues to do that. But when he gets excited, because I don't think he can hold the cheering back as much. And so he'll he'll do that. So it's kind of kind of funny. The last few questions we'll get out of here. We got from Bobby S. Does Price start to get more carries or is he still load management? I, I would say he's still in load management, but also – I would like to see him get a few more carries, uh, a, a few more carries. I would like to see him. Now, I mean, a few more means he's got five right now. I'd like to see him get maybe four or five a game is kind of where I'd like to see him. And then Bobby S. also asked, does Braylon James get more PT with Matt Salerno out or more tight ends running backs? I think what happens, Bobby, is nobody replaces Matt Salerno from an addition into the rotation. Notre Dame was playing seven receivers. They were playing the starters, Jaden Greathouse, Chris Tyree, or excuse me, Jaden Thomas, Chris Tyree, and, and Tobias Merriweather. They were also playing Jaden Greathouse. They were also playing Deion Colsey. They were also playing Rico Flores, and they were also playing Matt Salerno. So they were a seven deep a receiver. What I think you see here now is they just go with six deep and just his minutes get taken by the other receivers. I, I think that's what we're going to see. I don't, I don't see – I don't think – and honestly, a, a five-man rotation is a good rotation. They're at, they were at seven. So if anything, this just kind of condenses a rotation that needed to be condensed a little bit as you got deeper in the season. And I think that's all that we're going to see. Bubba Test Live says, do you think it benefits us, Notre Dame, for Texas or Alabama to win? Why? I think it depends on who you think is going to lose more during the year, honestly. So if you think Texas has a couple more losses under their, on their, under their schedule, then root for Texas to beat Alabama. If you think Texas is, you know, maybe they have the easier slate and you're not sure. Well, and, and also if you're if you're not sure if Bama's gonna have some losses, then you want to get them to win. If you think that, you know, Texas' schedule is a lot easier than Bama's, and even if Bama beats Texas, I think there's a couple L's on Bama's schedule, then you want Bama to win. I mean, that's kind of how I look at it. For me, I don't know that either necessarily benefits Notre Dame, because I if I had to pick, I'd say Texas winning benefits Notre Dame the most. Because again, I I I see more I see more losses on Texas' schedule than I do Bama's just because I think Bama's a really good team. You know, Texas still has to play Oklahoma at Baylor, at Houston, at TCU, at Iowa State. They got K-State at home, BYU at home. Uh, they got to play the Big 12 title game, and I'm still not sold that that Texas is that team that's just going to go run the table. They got a shot. Uh, you know, So even though Bama's schedule might be tougher on paper, I think Bama is better prepared to handle their schedule that includes at Mississippi State, at AM, at Kentucky, at Auburn, but then they get Tennessee, LSU, and Arkansas and Ole Miss at home. Right. So, you know, for me, I think Texas winning probably benefits a little more than Alabama, but you could make a case that Texas not stepping up and getting smacked around a little bit benefits Notre Dame, not so much as a team, but still recruiting the state of Texas. And I think that's an argument that I could I could be sympathetic to, to be honest with you. All right, got got a super chat here from Blood of Zeus. Thank you for the super chat. And I'm going to get to this last one here before we get out of here. Um, let's get to this. I'm going to have some breakdowns about there's a question from Ben about containing Armstrong. I'm going to have I'm going to have part of that as my game plan uh, to, or my my um, midweek rundown tomorrow. So a reminder, that's going to be at noon tomorrow. So definitely check that out. 
And then here's the last one uh, from Kevin Carter. I'll answer this one. Curious if you think there's a possibility that we haven't really seen the receivers take off so they can keep a little back to possibly give an advantage of teams not knowing what's coming. I mean, Kevin, I think that's possible. I think it's possible. I I don't want to dismiss that as a, as a, as a, oh no, Kev, you're nuts. There's no way that's, I mean, I think that's possible. I don't know that if it's if it's been held back, I would say my guess would be it's being held back because they just haven't needed it yet. And because of the way that the two teams have played. They, and what I mean by that is this, Kev, it's Notre Dame could have tried to dial some things up for some bigger plays down the field if they if they felt that it was needed. Tennessee State was protecting against the deep ball. I broke that down upon further review, Kev. If you didn't get a chance to check that out last night, check it out because I, I showed some still graphics of what I was talking about. They were just, they did not want to get beat deep. They were, they, it was obvious they broke down Wake Forest film. Uh, Navy's not a team that's easy to throw the deep ball against because of the way that they play, you know, pressures. You want to get the ball out quick, you know, and, and, and gash them with crossers and overs and, and screens and inside runs, which is exactly what Notre Dame did. There just wasn't a need to go deep. They did have a shot to go deep early, and Sam didn't throw the ball the way it needed to get thrown. That's why you didn't have the, the, the completion. You did have the, the post route to, to, to Jaden Greathouse, which was a deep ball. So, I mean, we saw it a little bit against Navy, but it wasn't needed against Tennessee State. They just they were giving Notre Dame the, the intermediate zone, and they were just giving them crossers and ends and overs, and Notre Dame took advantage. They're just When you jump on a team that quickly, there was no need to just start – trying to go to deep shots. So it's like, why? So for example, I'm pretty confident in saying that Notre Dame had more than just inside zone duo encounter in their game plan against Navy to run the football. It was never needed. Navy couldn't stop their base runs and they were killing them with the screens. So there's no need to kind of go to some of that other stuff. They stayed with what was really working and then just tweaked with the, the formations and things. So you don't throw things out there just to throw them out there. Right. And and, it, and there just wasn't the need for Notre Dame to do that. And so that I would buy saying like they held it back because it wasn't needed. And now it's going to be needed more. I think there's some merit to that. But uh, I don't know that it was like, hey, this could help us win, but we're not going to do it because we're going to wait for NC State. I don't I wouldn't I would say it's probably not that. So that's my two cents. Well, yeah, that's going to do it for today's show, everybody. Thank you all so much for being with us today. Uh, Six o'clock tonight. You have the uh, Ivy Nation sports talk. It's going to be. I believe tonight is Jesse and Vince or Jesse and Sean, I believe, but I'm not 100% certain on that. I always get the days confused, but I believe tonight is Jesse and Sean. Tomorrow, noon for the midweek rundown, it'll be a solo show. Uh, no mailbag. It'll be me talking about several topics. I'm going to talk about Sam Hartman and NC State, his past history against NC State, what we can learn about him and what we can learn about Notre Dame based on how he performs this weekend against NC State. And then also what Notre Dame can do against uh, to contain Brendan Armstrong along with some other topics for tomorrow. So I'm definitely going to have that. That starts at noon tomorrow on the IB Nation or on the Irish Breakdown channel. So make sure you're subscribed to that, of course. And, of course, subscribe to our podcast channel as well. Find that on all your favorite platforms on on, uh, podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, whatever. Just look for Irish Breakdown. Subscribe to that. Check that out. And of course, if you haven't done so, folks, I'm telling you and people in the chat will tell you there's some really cool stuff we're doing on the message on the premium message board uh, that that you I think you're going to really like and uh, and and really enjoy. So definitely check that stuff out as well. So anyway, everybody have a great rest of your day and we will talk to you again very soon on the Irish Breakdown podcast. Thank you.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.